Today's story of Jesus is about a man who was born blind and is then given sight as an adult. So I invite you to take a moment to imagine what that would be like. Never to have seen people or trees or the sky. And then all of a sudden, images everywhere. I've read accounts of people for whom this has happened, and apparently it can be a little unpleasant at first. Scary even. They report that objects appear like monsters compared to what they had imagined when they were blind, when they had sensed only by touch or, or sound alone. It can take a, take a while to get used to new vision. Now imagine that there are things that, that we can't see, whole realities to which we might be blind. What would it be like to suddenly see those things? Would we even want to? I'll share an example. I grew up in a, in a town in California named Pittsburgh. My grandfather moved there from Ohio during World War II to work in a steel mill. And the town next to ours was called Antioch. And all I knew about Antioch was that it was more rural, it was less industrial than my town of Pittsburgh. A friend on my street named Nick moved to Antioch when we were in the fourth grade. The family never said why they moved. But I I saw Nick again years later at a sporting event in high school. And I noticed at that point that his whole team was white. I was white. Nick was white. But the whiteness of his team suddenly stood out to me because Pittsburgh at that time was mostly black and Latinx. Antioch, it turned out, had at one time been known nationally as a sundown town. During Jim Crow segregation, there were places across the country where it was publicly declared that people of color were not welcome after sundown. Under threat of violence, Black people in particular were openly prohibited from living in these sundown towns or staying in hotels there or even driving through after dark. And after that kind of open discrimination had been, discrim- had been outlawed nationally, afterwards sundown towns were still places where white sup- supremacy groups flourished and hate crimes abounded, including Antioch, California. Once as an adult, I saw some graffiti there on the side of the road warning people of color to stay out. And being from Pittsburgh, that made me really uncomfortable. I felt differently about my friend Nick's family once I saw all of this. Had they moved to Antioch because they were racist? I saw that town, I saw those people with new eyes. And that way of seeing, it changed my experience of other places, too. For instance, I like to go running over at Airy Crown Woods, the forest preserve in countryside. And there's a little lake in part of of the park uh, in an area called Sundown Meadows. That's what it's called, Sundown Meadows. And because of what I've seen, I feel uncomfortable there, too. I can't help but wonder where the name came from. 
I mean, sure, the lake looks pretty at dusk, but why not sunset meadows? Especially since that park happens to sit between Hodgkins, which is primarily Latinx and was once redlined, and Countryside, which is predominantly white. And it's also the first thing you see driving north from the town of Justice, which is predominantly black. So either Countryside was was also a sundown town, or the name is a pretty big coincidence, don't you think? I was curious, I did a little research on this, I learned that most all post-war suburbs like ours were once sundown towns. One scholar estimates that 75% of all municipalities in Illinois, specifically, were known to African Americans as sundown towns, even if they didn't publicize it the way that Antioch, California did. And since then, there has been somewhat of a a conspiracy of silence about this. Most historical societies and history books don't even mention it. But the truth is still there, often hiding in plain sight. Here's another quick example. When I was a child, one of my favorite book series was The Indian in the Cupboard. You remember that? It was about a little toy plastic Indian that comes to life. I love that. But then as an adult, I went to live on a Native American reservation, volunteered there for a year. And that caused me to start seeing the word Indian differently. I discovered that Native Americans are very much still around, and they don't really appreciate uh, being depicted wearing headdresses or shooting bows and arrows. These days, they usually prefer the term native or indigenous, at least when other people are saying it. So when I was moving to the Highlands and I saw a town named Indian Head Park, I was kind of taken aback. I mean, don't people see that as offensive? Maybe it's just me. Maybe they really don't see it. I've mentioned this to many residents of IHP, which is what I prefer to call it now. And the reaction from some of them has been, huh, you know, I never even thought about it. Lived there for decades, never thought about it. This month I've been reading a a popular book called Waking Up White by Debbie Irving, who talks about having had many conversations like this one, where someone, usually a person of color, will explain an aspect of racial oppression, and the white people in the room just can't see the problem. She writes about one time at a training when a white woman had a kind of an aha moment and realized that she had previously been blind. She said to the group, why couldn't I see this aspect of racism? Why couldn't I see it on my own? And a black man in the room responded with frustration. He said, maybe it's because you don't want to see it. That helps Debbie Irving to start to see an additional truth. The way that segregation has enabled many people to avoid thinking about issues of race, which then allows them to deny instances of racial injustice or oppression, which creates the illusion of racial equality, 
and then they can pretend that racism is a thing of the past. They can choose to be colorblind. All we have to do is choose not to see it. Look the other way. Pretend it's not a problem anymore. So those are some of the experiences that lead to the perspective that I bring to this particular gospel account of the man born blind in John chapter 9. It changes the way I read it. I see a lot going on here that's more than, it's just, than just a miracle of healing. So I invite you to take a look at it again with me. Maybe you'll see it too. Here's a story where Jesus gives sight to a man who was blind from birth. He gives him new sight, which you would think others would see as a good thing. It's a miracle this man can now see. There should be great rejoicing in the community. But instead, this new sight of his leads to all sorts of conflict. That's what most of the chapter is about. The religious authorities are upset that this event happened on the Sabbath day when people were expected to be resting or praying. They wanted to focus instead on on issues of piety or at least law and order as they saw it. They said to themselves, how dare this Jesus person stick his nose into things that are none of his business. We have to Deal with this agitator, this troublemaker, they said to themselves. So the good, respectable leaders, first they tracked down the formerly blind man's parents. And the parents in this story, they're so afraid of this controversy that their son has caused. They can't take the social pressure. So they say to these authorities, they say, we don't know what happened. One day, our son just started seeing things differently. If you want to know more, go go talk to him. And so that's what these leaders do. They go to harass the formerly blind man to keep him from spreading any more crazy ideas. But then this formerly blind man He doesn't want to go back to being in the dark. He refuses to deny the truth that has been revealed to him. He can't unsee what he's seen with his own two eyes. And he knows there will be consequences, but he he tells the authorities anyway. He says, you know what? If you can't face what's right in front of you, then you all are the ones who are blind. Then the town leaders, they decide the only way to deal with this problem is to cast the man out. They send this this man away from his family, away from his network of support, all because he has been made to see what they choose to deny. There's so much conflict and strife in this story. I can understand why some people 
may prefer to stay blind, can't you? At times, we also may wonder if if seeing the truth is worth all of that trouble. And yet, one interesting thing about this particular story of, of healing is that Jesus doesn't ask the man born blind if he wants to see. Do you notice that? In this story, Jesus just opens his eyes because that's what Jesus does. This is one of the reasons that he came to earth to restore sight to the blind. Even though in this case it sounds like it was an uncomfortable process too. A bit messy the way Jesus rubbed some dirt and some spit in this man's eyes. It was unpleasant, this revelation, and yet Jesus did it anyway. And he called it healing. The new new sight, it gave this man health, wholeness, confidence, hope, even though at the same time, it cost him his community. Even though it put him at odds with some of the people he loved, including his parents. Meanwhile, in the story, as the man is being healed, Jesus' disciples, they're, discuss, they're discussing why, why the man had been blind to begin with. Was it his fault? Was it his parents' fault? Who sinned? Who caused this whole terrible situation? But Jesus, Jesus was too busy to worry about assigning blame. The important thing, he said, is what we do about it now. Are we now going to turn away and ignore the problem? Or are we going to continue opening people's eyes? Here, says Jesus, we have an opportunity to glorify God by healing the blindness of others. Yes, it also leads to conflict and sometimes persecution. But the truth is worth fighting for, says Jesus. It will even set you free. And that's what happens at the end of this story. The formerly blind man is cast out, but then Jesus meets him there, out in the wilderness. The man is now free to worship God, the God of all healing and wholeness and justice. And he sees Jesus in a new light. And the formerly blind man eventually finds that he is not alone in this vision. Because this is where the church resides as well. With the outcasts like him. With those who have been excluded and rejected and maligned, the ones who see. In following Jesus, we also can become friends of those who no longer fit into patterns of injustice. Because Jesus has also shown us the truth. And we can't just unsee it. There is no turning back. So what do you think? Is this our story? 
Is this story for us? Do we also want God to continue opening our eyes, making us aware of things that may have been hidden to us from the time we were born? Will we share what vision we have been given with others in order to help cure their blindness? Will we also be a friend to the outcast, the lost, the lonely, the left out, the left behind? Will we choose to see what they see? It can be disorienting, messy, even dangerous, this process of healing. And yet Christ does it anyway in order to set us free to make a new and better life for all of God's children, including us. Amen?